Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Arnold Pollard. How are you doing? I hope you are doing well. We've got a lot of news to talk about. So before we get into the stories today, just a quick couple of updates, um, a couple of videos about Alaska. And I'm going to give you a behind-the-scenes look at Alaska because uh, there's a couple of interesting ones. So that's going to be later in the show. And then I'm going to end the show with a travel story from about 10 years ago. And I just realized it had been 10 years since this trip. This trip was one of the first that kicked off really when I started traveling and trying to go to every country in the world. So I want to talk about that. And then we're going to start things off by talking about Omicron and travel bans. But just a quick couple of notes in case you've missed it. Uh, We're in the middle of holiday season, travel season, and tech season. And all those things, there's a lot going on. So I've got two watches two smart watches on my arms right now i'm full testing and believe me when you're at the gym with two or three watches on your arms oh boy i don't know if people are staring or looking or noticing but i must look like a crazy person so expect a smartwatch, mega smartwatch review coming out pretty soon so we've got that coming up uh, a couple of guests like i've mentioned coming up some of you have been asking where the guests are guests are Hopefully we'll have one for the end of the year roundup, which I'm planning to do in the last show of 20, what year is this? 2021. And then is it 2021? It is 2021. So after that, and then in the second half of the season, this is season three of the Fox Newman podcast. So in the second half of the season, um, it's going to be a lot of guests. So it's just been a lot of news and a lot of things going on and a lot of really sort of travels um, getting in there. So we're going to get back to that a lot of interesting topics that we can dive into but first let's talk about travel bans so since last time we talked there's been a new variant discovered uh called omicron it was discovered in or identified in south africa but as of like 10 minutes ago i'm reading that it was actually sequenced in europe first so in other words there's evidence or it's it, it was clearly in Europe before it was in South Africa. South Africa was just the first country to call the alarm. But in doing so, now many countries have imposed a travel ban on South Africa and about eight countries in Southern Africa, which has screwed up a lot of plans for, for people and hurts the economies of those countries. So I want to talk about do travel bans work? So I've been thinking about this, you know, are travel bans sort of is is there some sort of low level just racism or is it even just a disregard for parts of the world right like do do countries just impose travel bans willy-nilly to places depending on their relationship with them and you know how close they are culturally and all of that and south africa has come out and said look you guys are punishing us dear world you are punishing us for identifying this and if you keep doing this if you keep causing you know in travel bans on countries as soon as they identify a new variant of COVID because COVID is not going anywhere and then you start banning travel to and from that country it's going to disincentivize countries to even like come forward with this information and you know that's what the studies seem to be showing so do travel bans work so I'm looking at this this study from the World Health Organization which you know is not without controversy in general the World Health Organization has not come out of this pandemic looking too well, I got to say, but it basically says that the trade-offs for a travel ban aren't worth it. In other words, that the the burden it puts on lives and livelihoods doesn't seem to be worth or 
you know, the, the trade of, of implementing a travel ban, which doesn't seem to stop the virus anyway. That's because typically when we're at a point where a new variant has been identified, that variant has already spread to a bunch of places. It's already spread. And we're seeing that now as more countries are now looking for the Omicron variant, that it is indeed probably in most, if not every country around the world. So uh, in addition to you know, people traveling for work, people traveling for vacations, people traveling to see family. Quote, the World Health Organization says, in addition, it can adversely impact global health efforts by disincentivizing countries to report and share epidemiological and sequencing data. It says countries should apply what it calls a risk-based, time-limited approach when it comes to restricting travel. After the pandemic began in 2020, the World Health Organization made it clear that it generally didn't support travel bans as they are usually not effective. Travel measures that significantly interfere with international traffic may only be justified at the beginning of an outbreak as countries may be allowed then given, maybe then allowed uh, to gain time to get ahead of the pandemic. And so that's all great. I think we already, I, th I think it's sort of counterintuitive. We think, okay, the virus is in a certain place. So if we just ban travel from there, it should just stay there. But that's now how it works. Uh, the virus, once it's identified, has already been out. It's not like, you know, when they identify a new variant, they're just finding the very first person who has this variant, especially in a, in a contagious disease that's been so widespread for so long. It's already out there. So this... This uh, organization, what is this, WZB Berlin Social Science Center in Germany last October has been looking at travel restrictions and death rates in more than 180 countries since the pandemic began, and it has reached some conclusions. It says, when it comes to travel bans, the biggest impact is when countries ban travel before recording 10 or more deaths. Mandatory quarantine for all travelers was more effective than entry bans, which in some cases exempted returning nationals, and targeted restrictions on particular countries had more impact than blanket bans on all foreign travelers. Researchers looked at the early days of the pandemic in the UK, where there were few travel restrictions and found that the virus had been introduced over 8,000 times, mainly from other countries in Europe. The new Omicron variant has been identified in at least a dozen countries so far, and the list is growing. And it is now clear that it has spread to other parts of the world. And Dr. Uh, Deepti Gurdasani, an epidemiologist at London's Queen Mary University, says rather than travel bans, you should have proper screening and isolation, uh, isolation policies, which would slow the spread. It says one key difference from the early stages of the pandemic is that vaccines are now being rolled out across the world and the pace of vaccination is highly variable in some countries and their effectiveness against Omicron remains uncertain. So this is basically where we're at. We basically need people to get vaccinated because that stops where the virus can go. There's kind of a, a buffer against the virus. And travel, I guess, quarantines and testing. So it's going to be quarantines and testing, which totally suck when you're traveling, but they are a necessity. I guess it's better than a blanket travel bed. Um, which is funny because I know, I've talked to a couple of friends who have been in Africa in the last like six weeks and so I think travel and tourism had started picking up there and this is definitely going to hurt hurt a lot of the the local economies there so uh, hopefully hopefully the world kind of um, you know I, I think 
it's time now for maybe a longer term solution to figure out what really works and what really doesn't. I think we're at that we're at that road. We're at that fork in the road. We got to figure that out. And it seems like testing in quarantines you know, uh, the quarantine is seems like not fun, but uh but the testing, yeah. And I think they're, you know, for vaccinated travelers, I think there're going to be some different rules. But um yeah. So as the world has started to open up, like Australia, which was closed for 18 months, 18 months, uh, it has just decided to reverse the decision to allow foreign students and skilled migrants. So that's where we're at. Now, let's talk about places you can travel, like Alaska. So if you've seen some of my recent videos, I've done a lot of eating in Alaska, which was a lot of fun. Alaska has a surprisingly rich food culture you wouldn't think so but uh, there are a lot of good places to eat in anchorage in seward a lot of good places to eat in fairbanks now those places open and close with the season right now just just you know open your weather app on your phone and just look up fairbanks or anchorage it's it's cold it was chilly when i was there about freezing you know around freezing some unseasonably high temperatures a couple of days while i was there about you know, 60 Fahrenheit, which is extremely unusual, which is about, you know, 10 degrees Celsius. But uh, right now it's freezing in all those places. Most of those places are pretty closed. So uh, it's not a great time to visit, but the food was great. A lot of great food places to eat um, and a lot of great places to stay. So I did stay at the, what's called the Dome Home. Now the Dome Home, if you've seen that video, is like essentially... So the dome home is of of residence. So it's a large home with lots of rooms. I mean, like a, it's almost like a mansion size, and it has a huge dome on it, which is like the one of the main common areas where you can sit. And it looks really, really cool. It's run by these two people, the Millers, who are a a married couple. One is retired Air Force, I want to say, retired military, um, and that's so they run it as like a bed and breakfast and it has multiple rooms where you can stay with a huge group if you have a large group or you can stay it's kind of like a hostel but a, a much nicer hostel and then they have separate homes which you can rent out or you can you know stay with separate rooms and the way I ended up here so I had rented a cabin in Denali National Park so the the dome home is in Healy which is about midway between Fairbanks and Anchorage it's closer to Fairbanks but it's right in the middle of Denali Park. So I show up at the cabin that I had rented, driving all the way from Anchorage, which is, you know, it was about four and a half hours on the road. And this is a pretty remote place. There's, there are no gas stations really nearby, no grocery stores, just nothing. So show up at the cabin, no cars outside, nothing. It's like a ghost. It's like just wilderness, basically like just flatland and then a cabin. And I show up and I'm like, okay, I booked this place. And then nobody's there. I walk around to the, you know, to the outside to where the office is, knock on that. You know, I, I go around to the other place that looks like it might be an office, knock on Nobody's there. It's totally deserted. And I'm like, oh boy. All right. So I, I ring up the uh, the reception and it it gets routed to a cell phone. And on the cell phone, it's a lady who picks up, who sounds very frazzled. She's like, oh, 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 you're booking. Okay, okay. I'll be there. I'll be there right away. I'll drive over right away. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? 
So the lady hangs up and I wait about 20 minutes and I'm like, is this lady showing up? Is this, I mean, it's like, there's no cars in sight. I mean, you can see to the horizon, it's just like no cars. I'm like, what is going on? So anyway, she does show up, shows up, you know, about, I want to say 20 minutes, but may have been longer. Um, and it's about three, four, you know, maybe maybe four in the afternoon. So I'm thinking here now, all right, if I don't have a place to sleep, I've got to get the road, got to hit the road back up to Anchorage, uh, not to Anchorage, to Fairbanks, so, you know, and uh, it's not too close and I'm going to have to rebook and all this. So she shows up, I go in the office and she's like, look, um, I've got a deal for you. She said, the bookings, I was booking.com, screw it, I'll say it. Yeah, it was booking.com. She said, basically, we had turned off the booking but they, ha- when you disable bookings from booking.com, there's like a, a buffer time. So people had booked rooms like me, had booked rooms at this cabin after they were done taking reservations. I don't know what was going on. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure everybody was as organized as they could have been. And so she says, look, you can stay here. Uh, the, one of the rooms has been cleaned for you, but it's overbooked. So I've got two or three other people who are showing up at this cabin. And this is like the last week of basically of the season in Denali. So it's like right at the end of September, which is like, but what I can do is I can set you up in this other place. And I was like, oh boy, that sounds worse, right? Like, uh, like, you know, she's like, I'm the first person who shows up and she's like, let me give you another place. So I was like kind of weary. And she's like, here's a place, look at my phone. And then it's this dome. It's like this dome home, right? It looks really cool. It looks really nice. And part of me is like, there's got to be something wrong with this scenario. She's like, look, you book this cabin. I'll call over there. I know them and I'll give you the same rate. So you don't have to pay anything. It's already considered it paid. You're just going to go up the road like an hour, maybe a little more than an hour. And you can stay there. It's really nice. It's definitely better than this place, she said. And I was like, okay, all right, whatever, right? Like that traveler's mentality of, all right, let's go for it. So I was like, all right. Uh, I'm doing that. So I, I leave this lady. I'm now on the road to Healy, um, which is a little bit further north, which is a small place, but it has a grocery store and a gas station, you know, that kind of stuff. Like the cabin didn't have any of those things around. Like the nearest grocery store was like 40 miles away. So I go up there and I end up at the dome home and it looks really nice. And I didn't even get to stay in the dome home because I was given the second home, which is a home that the Millers who own the dome home have created. And they built this house and it's like a, not even a block away. I mean, it's very close. So you just, it's like a two minute drive. You drive there and it's a whole house to yourself basically. And because nobody else was staying there, you know, I had this whole place, this whole house to myself, which was fantastic. It was definitely a major, major, major upgrade. And it was really you know just a great place to stay if you're in alaska i definitely recommend if you're in denali uh the people are really nice they have a home-cooked breakfast um they they know everything about fairbanks and denali you know where to see animals i didn't see a single moose a bear i did see a hawk but it was pretty disappointing i didn't see any wildlife in my time in alaska aside from a wildlife cruise that i took cruise boat trip whatever so Speaking of that breakfast, so I'm there and I'm getting some drone shots for the video. If you've seen that, you've seen there a lot of aerial, you know, shots. That was with the drone. So I'm outside and a car pulls up and a guy comes over and he's like, oh, so you got put up here too. And then we start talking. We realize 
I don't know if he was supposed to stay at the same cabin, him and his son, but uh, he was like, yeah, I showed up at this cabin. And I told him the name of the cabin, and it wasn't the same place, but he, it was the same story. He showed up at the cabin, it was overbooked, and so they decided to put us up here, which kind of makes me wonder if all the cabins aren't owned by the same owner or managed by the same person or whatever. So he ended up at the, at, at the same place, and he's talking, and he's like, you know, I... I, I I find people here are very weird. He said, it's really strange. I don't think there's a normal person in Alaska. Boy, you know, that the, the, ironic. So the next morning at this breakfast, you know, I'm shooting all around. Uh, I went out into the town. It was, it was nice. It was a nice day. I shot around the house uh, to get some, you know, t- to film and make the video. And I'm at the breakfast and I get there as early as possible because I like to shoot very early before there are a lot of people. So I'm shooting the breakfast, you know, I've got the cameras, a couple of cameras set up on me to film eating and to describe what's happening. And then a, a man I will call Conspiracy Charlie with his son show up uh, at breakfast. It was the man who I was talking to yesterday, with, who, you know, when I was droning, sits down and, you know, we start talking and it, it's great. You know, I, you know, I don't, I don't mind a nice conversation a part of me is like all right maybe i can use some of this in the video and, and you know I'll, I'll definitely take time out to to film and you know i mean there's there's like three tripods set up on me it's kind of it's kind of funny but he just goes right into talking about uh every conspiracy you could think of now real nice guy but definitely didn't just oh man it just did, didn't trust anything this was this was conspiracy charlie and later looking at the footage so i you know i had a camera set up for like 40 minutes for breakfast i had recorded this whole conversation i should probably just release that as like a as a as a sort of behind the scenes thing but we talked about everything from covid being a hoax from you know uh, governments uh, controlling people and, and and maybe the end times we got into a lot of it it was a fascinating discussion although it was very engaging it was one of those you know where you're locked in and you i'm like there i'm filming i'm eating well i want to eat but i couldn't speed through the food because i was like i gotta also you know, kind of film this stuff and uh it was just an interesting time and it was the funny thing it was just he kept saying in between he was like you know i know you don't have to you don't have to agree with me it's just what i think i mean you could tell i, I was like what is going on here and uh so that was Conspiracy Charlie. We talked about everything. We talked about, you know, people he had known, close family members had passed away from COVID. He didn't believe it was COVID, though. He thought it was a conspiracy, uh, as as his uh, nickname would suggest, as I have given him. Now, he might be listening to this, actually. But, um, you know, it was an interesting conversation. So, so no harm there, Charlie. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess when you stay in a place with a common area you you meet people and uh, you get some interesting characters that come along but it was a great stay nonetheless i really did enjoy my time there and uh, speaking of just sort of odd encounters i want to take you back to i think it was i want to say it's 2010 but it might be even earlier around there to iraq to to one of my first uh travels when uh, the site was very, very, very new. The Fox Nomad site was only a pup. So I want to tell you about that. I don't think I've ever shared that uh, on the site. So it's a little behind the scenes. I'll give you of that too, right after this. All right. So let me take you back to 2010. 
Whoa, what a different time that was. That, that was that seems like a lifetime ago. But I was just looking up, I came across some things I'd written about traveling in northern Iraq. So at this time I was living in on the Aegean coast in Turkey and I had met uh Derek, who you may know from such podcasts like this one, uh wanderinggirl.com. So we had met at TBEX, which is a travel blog conference that happens, I think, twice a year now they do it. But we had met in the, I think it was the very first one in New York City. We met, had a few beers, um, and he had mentioned like, oh, I was, you know, we kind of like mentioned that uh, we were both planning to go to Iraq. It would be a cool trip. And that was that. And then, you know, we left New York and whatever. And then six months later, he he emails me, I think, and was like, hey, I'm going to Iraq in like a week. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to come too? And I was like, sure. So I just fly over there to northern Iraq and, you know, it's it's a place that, especially at that time where you're like, what, what did I just, what did I say, what am I doing? So this is to the north regions, the, the Kurdish region of Iraq, where it's a lot more stable, it still is, it's autonomous, and figured out, okay, we looked at the things, we're like, all right, this is should be fairly safe, right? So this is not in Baghdad or anywhere really where there had been any too many incidents. There had been a few, but not too, too many. Um, so we get there, land in Airbill, um, meet at the airport, and just driving around. And it's one of those things where you're just in a car with a taxi and you're like, I don't know where the taxi is taking me. Hopefully it's going to a hotel. I don't know. So show up at the hotel. It is like... There's like no hotel infrastructure, right? It's a small hotel and uh, there's like black mold on the wall and the toilet was like from a horror movie. It was just one of those places. The beds were like gross. It, it was just, you know, it's one of those times. But I'm going to be there for, I think, a week or 10 days. I don't remember how long the trip was. I think it might have been 10 days. But so you get there and you're like, all right, you got the hotel. Whew. All right explore Airbill, which is a really nice city. It was like really clean and organized. We'd met some UN peacekeepers from all over the world, but these guys from, I want to say from Tonga, I think, I think it was Tonga, these big Polynesian guys. We had met them like, what the hell are you guys doing here? You know, they'd seen that, you know, we clearly didn't belong and that, you know, had cameras out and we're filming and stuff. And, and we just talked and he was like, look, it seems really peaceful. And it, it is, they guys just watch yourselves. You know, this is, don't don't be lulled into a false sense of security. You know, you should be fine, but just be careful. All right. And, you know, so that was the time in Airbill, really nice city, exploring around, uh, met a lot of nice people, you know, just a, a tons of stories there. And then we decide to go to a couple of other cities. I'm trying to remember. Ah, uh, yeah, we went, we decided to go to a couple of cities in the south. Now, there, there are two routes that we could have taken. One is a 10 and a half hour route that takes you, it, it basically keeps you within the, the northern Kurdish area, which is sort of, sort of where there are security perimeters. Um, and the other one was like a four hour route that goes to Kirkuk, which at the time was the most dangerous city in the world. And the only way to get to these places is through shared taxi. Basically what a shared taxi is, is instead of buses, what they had there were cars. So a car going from city A to B with like four people. So they would just wait around until they would have four people happen to be going to the same place. You pay the driver and then you go. 
So we found a car with one other person. There's two of us. That's four total with the driver. And we're going to go to this other city. And we didn't know that he was taking the short route. Um, we went, Well, actually, we, we, we kind of had calculated. We we're like, all right, I think we'll be fine. We'll go, I mean, how bad could it be? Well, we're driving on this road and we get to a massive security checkpoint along the way. And we had been through a couple of them. They would stop. They would see two foreigners in the car, pull us out. Me looking as Turkish as possible, I would get questioned a lot. Like a lot. Like I, I was I was the one who looked out of place. I was the one who was the suspicious one. They weren't sure if I was an Arab coming from the, the south of Iraq, which at the time was, was, you know, there was a lot of terrorism happening and a lot of people coming from the south to disrupt the north. So I got questioned a lot. My passport, you know, searched. And, and even one uh, Kurdish general had, was screaming at me in Arabic in curses. I, I don't know Arabic, but I do know some of the curses. He was just cursing at me, trying to see if if I was, you know, an Arab from coming from the south. And I, I didn't really know what he was saying. I didn't react, I guess, because I didn't know what he was saying. And I think that passed the test. So that was one thing that happened. So we get to this checkpoint, massive, massive checkpoint. And on top... I mean, when I say checkpoint, there are like these huge like concrete walls that they had built with sniper towers and these long barreled guns that are just facing, pointed at all the cars. So we get this checkpoint and it's just a stop. Like there's maybe like 50, maybe 100 cars just stopped, you know, as they're checking, I guess, because, you know, when you get into the checkpoint, it's like a zigzag. If you kind of know what I mean, zigzag around barriers, very tight zigzag around barriers and so they're checking all the cars and you know wait there for a while it's it's sort of unnerving because you've got these big guns pointed at you uh from the towers and you've also got these other cars who presumably the you know the checkpoint is is worried about right so we don't know what's in these cars who's in these cars if we're in danger in the car just sitting around you know there's two foreigners right there um so you know, we're just waiting for, you know, to get to the checkpoint. So we get the, the the checkpoint after some time and it's really just hot. So imagine it's the middle of the day. This is like heat. You know, the, the sun is like beating down. It's super hot. They take us out of the car. Our bags are in the trunk of, of the car. Soldier sees us. They, they take us out and they tell our drivers, like, you can go on. And we're like, wait, wait, our bags are there. And the guys were like, you know, these Kurdish soldiers were like, I don't care. So they, they take us off. We can't communicate. They don't seem to speak English. They take us into the checkpoint. So there's like a, I, I don't know, like a bunker behind there or in there or whatever you want to call it. So we get out and I'm thinking, I'm never going to see my bags again. I just have my passport on me. The bags are gone. Those guys are never going to show up. All the stuff is gone. And what is going on right now? We just got pulled out at a checkpoint in Iraq near a very dangerous place. Um, this, you know, either this is dicey or we're being detained or something bad is going to happen. So we, we we're getting led into the this like bunker thing, and I'm like, oh my god, what what awaits us, right? So especially since I had been questioned and like interrogated at all these other checkpoints, I was like, this is worse. This looks like way worse. So we get there, we turn the last corner and we're well into the checkpoint now. And it's like, you know, we're like deep into the checkpoint and we turn a corner and there is a kid who's maybe 
2021, and he says, Holy shit, man, what the hell are you doing here? In a very distinct Texas accent. So we turn around, it is a U.S. Marine. I'll never forget the guy. I wish I had taken his name. It's one of my regrets from traveling. I wish I'd gotten his name. You know, I'd love to like just catch up, find out where he is. But we turn around the corner. It's a guy, it's a Marine from Texas. He had just been stationed there. And he had been there just for a few weeks. He had never left the U.S. before. He told us about that. He said we had never, he had never left the U.S. And his first assignment was in Iraq. And he had been in the South. And he was like, you know, it's so different and all this stuff. And he was like, you guys, uh, but up here in the North, you'll be fine. No problem. We just wanted to, we just wanted to, to see you, right? Like we had heard that there were some foreigners and blah, blah, blah. Really nice kid. And it was just such a relief. We're just like, you know, this like exhale of like, whew, like a friendly face. We know what's going on. We can communicate. Uh, so that was one of the just best moments of travel, really, that that was just one of the best sort of travel times that I, that I had. But I will say this. After that, we did go to meet the general who was like stationed there, who was just, I guess, the, the person in charge. He was a general. He did have some stars on his on his collar. And he told he was looking through our documents. He said, what are you guys doing here? We're like, just traveling around, you know, like literally uh, just that's what we were doing. But it just seems so dopey. You know, these guys are doing some serious work and you know, dangerous work. And there's just two idiots here just going around traveling and writing about on their blog. And he did tell us before we left, he said, look, guys, you know, just watch yourselves. He said, it looks safe, he goes, but it is not. And he said, you know, it is dangerous and you need to be very careful and keep a low profile. Uh, clearly, we had done a great job of the low profile thing because everybody had known that we were there. I mean, literally, <laughs> we didn't really do a good job of that. But he he mentioned, he's like, you know, keep a low profile, watch your back, you know, just be careful of your movements, all this stuff. His more experienced older measure was different than the soldier who was just like yeah it's totally fine up here this general had clearly had had more time in the country and had seen more stuff and was you know had more experience and gave us some good advice and then he was like you know you're free to go and we're like so one of the Kurdish soldiers takes us back out of the checkpoint we're like oh god i hope the car is here our stuff is probably going to be missing we show up it's our driver the other passenger is there and I'm like, hey, you mind if I check the trunk? Look in the trunk, stuff is there, nothing seems to be missing. And we go on our way. And that was just one of these little stories that happened in that trip to Iraq, which was still is one of the most sort of memorable uh, trips I'd taken. Not to age myself here, but back in 2010, you know, there were very few YouTube videos about destinations. Um, there were very few blog posts about destinations, and nobody had been to Iraq. I mean, nobody had been writing about it or filming it or anything. So the, the level of like knowledge that we had going in was very, very, very limited. There wasn't much out there. So, you know, now really there's so many travel vloggers and bloggers that you can Google pretty much any destination and at least get an idea of what it's like on the ground. You know, something from, that's not a news article, but something from somebody who's been there can give you like real practical advice. You know, is it dangerous walking around? How did you feel 
that kind of stuff that that doesn't usually make it into like a news article. That's very useful when you're traveling. I think I've I've written about that, but I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast. But when you're going somewhere, just write the destination name, the city, and just write travel blog, and you'll get way more useful like practical information. But at that time, there wasn't any. We didn't really know what we were getting into. Super fun trip. I really do wonder. I mean, if there's any off chance that that soldier, probably not, because you know. But if he was listening to this podcast, if you found two <laughs> two foreigners um, back in 2010 while you were stationed in northern Iraq, and you said, "What the hell are you doing here, man?" If you remember that, please please send me an email. Please podcast at foxnomad.com. It would really be. I really do wonder what happened. It's just one of those things that you know. You wonder. What ended? What happened to that guy? Maybe he's thinking the same thing about me and Derek. But I wanted to share that travel story with you. It's been a while since I, I really had a chance to 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 talk about that and to uncover that. Uh, thanks very much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Like I said, it's been a very hectic time. I'm sure for you as well. I hope I hope you take a moment to to catch your breath. Uh, lots of tech. I am right now. I just got a notification that a new MacBook Pro is on its way to me today after many, many shipping delays and weeks of waiting. So I'm excited about that. It's probably going to be a lot to talk about with that. A lot of smartwatch stuff to talk about in the next time. Hopefully some travel. We've got some end of the year stuff. Uh, I've got some things planned for you as, you know, as the year winds down. And this year has gone by so fast. And I don't think it's slowing down until 2022. So thanks very much for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you haven't, leave five stars wherever you're listening, Apple, Stitcher, Google, wherever you're listening. Those five stars really help get the word out about the podcast. Thanks very much for listening. And until the next episode, I hope you have a great rest of your day.